Thanks, Taj. I don't know about the phenomenal father, but uh, none of the boys are here today, so we're not embarrassing them today, so that's all right. Um, I bought my chocolate just in case I get a bit hungry while I go. Um, look, I was just um, thinking um, I'm really privileged to kick off the fifth year of uh, Coast Vineyard. And I just pulled out of my Bible, and I don't know why it's still there. This is um, from the 7th of July 2013. This is Coast Vineyard Church's newsletter for that. Pre- that was, must have been for one of our pre-services at the um, golf club where we had beer and burgers. Man, I miss those days. That was a great way to get through Matt's sermons. We're not, video- we're not recording yet, right? Today, we can go for the slides. I've, I've actually made it a little bit hard for the guys today because I've got quite a few videos, and so um, I hope that we get this right. Uh, yeah, my name's Craig Young. If I haven't met you before, and I've met most of you, uh, I, I fulfill a few roles around this place. Um, one of the ones I'm quite thankful I'm not doing today is Children's Church because it looks like there was quite a few who went down there. So you get me today rather than them. Um, and so it's a real privilege to speak to you this morning. I was talking to um, Lee beforehand. She was asking, you must be reasonably comfortable. You do public speaking quite a lot. And it's true, I do. In my job, I do quite a lot of standing in front of people. And I have for many, many years. So it doesn't actually faze me to do public speaking. But when you speak in front of a church... And when you speak in front of your friends and your family, it's actually harder. Because what you've got is a privilege. And I hope that, you know, I'm here to try and share with you something that will hopefully change your life. Now, when you speak in front of somebody about telecommunications, and don't worry, we are coming back to that, because that's my life. You know, you might change the purchasing decision for the next 12 months or something like that. But today you might, or one of you might make a decision that changes your entire eternity. So it is quite um, special to be here. And even specialer today to be Father's Day, except uh, neither of them are here, are they? No. I have had a lovely text from Liam this morning, I will say that, and nothing from Hamish. (laughs) Does that surprise any of you so far? No, righto. And certainly, as a father, and I've been one for a while, I remember very early on from Sue's dad being told that you should never embarrass your kids when you're speaking in church. And since neither of them are here today, I'm not going to. I'm going to embarrass myself. Because there's a certain thing I need to share with you that's been sitting um, quietly for a little while, um, which will come out in a moment. So let's, let's get into that. Susie's going to laugh her head off as soon as she figures out what's going on because the last time she saw this, she was rolling on the floor and giggles. Um, I want to take you back 40 years. Now, Liam's actually in Christchurch for his very first visit ever to my hometown. So I grew up in Christchurch, so I bleed red and black. I almost wore a Canterbury shirt this morning, um, but I decided that we wouldn't go there. So going back to 1977, 1977 was the year of Star Wars. Who remembers that? I do. First movie, next slide, Nathaniel. First movie I ever took a girl to. (laughs) Never took her to any other movie, but this was the first movie. And I love this. People tell you, me and Star Wars and Star Trek and all those sort of things, Doctor Who, fantastic. Look, three very important things happened for me that year, and I'm going to share those three with you. The first one was I became a teenager. That'll make, that'll, 
Now you can work out how old I am. I turned 13 on the 18th of January 1977, and I started high school in 1977. Was I ready for high school? No way. Second thing, I want to show you a few video clips from 1977. This is actually Zach and I talked about this, and he said it was a good idea. Okay, can we run the first video clip? I've got to stand and watch it because I need to commentate. Right, this is length. Sorry, there's no sound. If there was sound, if there was sound, you'd only hear Keith Quinn, the worst rugby commentator in the world. This is the second test at Lancaster Park before it was Jade or AMI, anything stupid. Look how they go into scrums. None of this just, you know, fine, set, rubbish, just straight in. Down she goes. Look how close the crowd is. Imagine that. So, And you can see they're in their Sunday best, some of those guys as well. The other thing I love about this clip is watching the referee. It's just hilarious. Um, just the way he does his signals. This clip goes for a little bit longer. Sorry, I was trying to figure out how long I could talk for, and I'm probably going to have to talk for a little bit longer. But um, there's going to be a penalty in a moment. There is. really is. I can tell you now. There's going to be a penalty, and Phil Bennett's going to kick the goal. Um, Phil Bennett was an amazing captain of the Lions in 1977. And uh, he was an amazing kicker. All right. Actually, just roll past that. Go to the next slide. Uh, next video. Next clip. Okay, this is Ian Kirkpatrick on the ground. Here comes Susie. She's going to laugh her head off now. Those days, there was no such things as doctors that ran onto the field. Do you also note the state of the pitch? That pitch was awful. Because the week before, at the Manawatu Canterbury game, which I had actually been at, it bucketed down. It absolutely poured down. Okay, there is a reason for that. Let's go to the next embarrassing slide. And it comes up. We'll go back. Who's that? That's me. That's me. That's me at 13. Before any of you laugh your heads off. How many of you have been on the same pitch, I only worked this out yesterday, with the All Blacks and the British and Irish Lions at the same time that they were playing? Me. <laughs> I'd actually never seen this footage until they, the Lions came last time and they re-released all the, all the um, DVDs. And we got this and I said, oh yeah, I think I'm on there somewhere because my mum had told me I was, because she'd seen it on TV. So we played it. Oh, my God. They laughed their heads off. Uh, you can't quite see, but the uh, Lions actually won that game 13-9. Um, and you, unfortunately, you can't see the quality of the graphics. But <laughs> I wanted to show you some of that stuff as well because it's just classic 40 years ago. Look. <laughs> so there is meaning to this. All right, can we all agree that since you've seen this, we'll never talk about it again? <laughs> Let's move on to the next slide, Nathaniel. Okay. I was on the field because in those days, St. John's Ambulance Cadets used to, do, used to stand on the sideline at Lancaster Park. And so I was really fortunate because the week before, I'd stood on the sideline for the Manawatu Canterbury game, which gave me the right to stand on the sideline for the test match. And I didn't really want to do anything other than I wanted to be there at the test match, right? But what an experience. It was awesome. Um, 
But because it had rained so hard the last week, yes, I was dressed up as a Scotsman. That was the uniform. We had this great big heavy greatcoat on because that's what you wore. And um, I didn't have boots, so I wore gumboots. So, because the pitch was a disaster. So that was the second most important thing that happened that year. The other group that I was involved in at that time was Boys Brigade. And uh, in Canterbury, they used to run a summer camp over Christmas. And I went to that that year. And on the 31st of December, 1977, I gave my life to Jesus. So that's 40 years this year. So those are the three things that really impacted my life that year. Maybe not so much the second one about running onto the field, but, you know, at least we got that out there. So, yeah, so I um, became a Christian in 1977. Let's just pray for a moment, shall we, after that? Loving Father, thank you that you give us life experiences that sometimes come back to bite us. Thank you that you love us tremendously and intimately, and would you uh, be with us this morning? Would you open our hearts and our minds to hear from you what you'd have to say to us? Amen. Okay, so it's important... I've talked about my father, uh, I think uh, 18 months ago. You know, my father was one of these absent, um, unemotional type gentlemen that learned how to be a dad from his dad. And his dad was in the war. And so when his dad would come home, he'd go back to uh, the war, and then nine months later, be another baby. That was just how it worked. And so he learned how to be a dad from his. And in his one un. Uh, the one moment that we've ever really shared about that sort of stuff, we talked about his dad and my grandfather. And uh, it, made all, it made complete sense. And so on Father's Day, you know, it's pretty easy to figure out what you're going to speak about, right? It's going to be about fathers. Um, and it's, I want to explore that, what that means this morning. And I want to uh, figure out a little bit about what it means to be a good, good father. And then we're going to talk about our father. So, I figured, though, you probably want to know where Father's Day come from. So, I went to Wikipedia. Now, it's quite interesting because, actually, Father's Day, uh, there's a little bit of uncertainty around where it came from. The first story we have on uh, Wikipedia is that it's been celebrated on March the 19th, which is St. Joseph's Day in Catholic Europe since the Middle Ages. Now, This, apparently, the celebration was brought to uh, Latin America, where it's the March 19th date is still used. Um, So they have their Father's Day, and there should be a picture of St. Patrick up there. Um, Apparently, it's St. Patrick. I just went Google St. Patrick and images. So that's St. Patrick. Now, there's another story. So we go to the next slide. This is a young, well, she's not, she is young. Uh, Sonora Smart Daughters became Washington State. In 1909, she sat in church listening to a Mother's Day sermon. Now, her mother had died, and uh, her dad was a Civil War veteran, apparently. That doesn't really look like that, now I think about it. But anyway, maybe that's her with her baby. That's what the internet gave me. <laughs> Never trust the internet. Um, anyway, so she decided that she wanted to have a day for her father. So she convinced the mayor of her town, and since 1909, uh, there's been a Father's Day in the United States of America, and it grew from there, probably because some greeting card company decided it was a great way to sell more cards. Now, look, whatever the origin is, today we're talking about our father figures. I'm acutely aware that we all have completely different experiences with dads and with fathers, and some of us don't even have them. And so um, 
we're going to be mindful of that and hopefully we'll be sensitive of that as we go through as well. Um, so most of us learned how to be a father from our father. And there are all sorts of fathers. And here's a list. The next slide will give you a list of some of the fathers you can have. You can have your birth father and your biological father. I think they're generally sort of the same. A putative father. Do you know what this means? That means uh, a father who says he's not the father. So it's a bit of an argument about whether he's the father or not. A baby daddy. Apparently, that one is the sperm donor. So if you have children and there's a sperm donor, that's the, the colloquial for that particular father, the baby daddy. Our surprise father. I figured you could put most of these with mother apart from this one. Can't really have a surprise mother. Uh, teenage father, father-in-law, foster father, social father, stepfather, and adoptive father. And I want to come back to that one a little bit later. So I've been a father for nearly 25 years because Hamish is 25 next month. Um, if you haven't met Hamish, um, he doesn't come to church at the moment, uh, but they have moved back to Auckland. And he's our eldest son, uh, Liam, who does come to church, who I think you've met, turned 22 yesterday. Uh, the same day as Ben McGregor, who is coming here in a couple of weeks' time to speak. Okay, so, and I started wondering what fatherhood, you know, was it what I actually thought it was? But rather than me talking about it, I've asked a couple of people, um, we're going to interview a couple of people through my sermon to ask them some questions. So the first person is Josh. So Josh, come on up. Josh is son number three, although I'm not a very good father for son number three. Oh, look, there he is. Yeah, son, father, this father didn't make that wedding, wasn't it terrible? Yeah. Okay. So I have some questions for you, Josh. Okay, so the first thing was, and he has had these questions, so he's pre-warned. Tell me a little bit about your situation and with your fathers. Um, so I am lucky enough to have two dads. Um, my birth father is uh, this kind of big chunk of muscle um, that used to play football, American football, and um, he's the kind of guy that's a get-her-done kind of guy. And then my stepdad is um, a little bit, little bit on, he's kind of my size, but he's still kind of that same get-her-done kind of guy. Okay. Now, so you've got two dads. Tell us a little bit about what you've learned from both of them about being a father. Um, Work hard, play hard kind of thing, um, basically. And I, ba I got my work ethic from, from the both of them. They taught me how to work as hard as you can and um, don't, don't hold anything back. All right, and here's the hard one. So you're recently married. You don't have any kids yet. Hopefully they're in the future somewhere. Okay, phew, I should have asked you that before <laughs> I said that. Uh, or maybe I should have asked Jamie. Um, tell me... You know, you've got that to look forward to. So have you had a thought about what sort of father you'd like to be and specifically what sort of father you don't want to be? Um, I've kind of been thinking about this over the past week, really. Um, and I think the kind of father that I want to be is I want to be the kind of father that, um, um, you know, cries with their sons and daughters and isn't afraid to show their emotions. Um, because, like, my dad, my both of my dads are kind of, held back and they like to hold back their emotions and don't really show much but um i yeah i want to basically tell my kids and show them that every day that they're loved and i don't want them to ever feel like you know they're not loved thank you josh i wanted to ask somebody who hadn't had kids yet because i wanted to see how 
you know, where they were setting the bar and how they were thinking about what was going to happen. Because when we, um, when we start off on this parenting journey, I don't know how many, I mean, it might be a little bit different these days, but when we knew we were having Hamish, I don't know how many books we read, you know, to prepare ourselves. And we said, I can't remember whether we said we we're going to do things certain ways because what happens, of course, is all of you know, if you've had kids, as soon as that baby comes, what happens? It all goes out the window. And you just cope with this um, thing you can't give back. <laughs> I then thought, well, let's, let's do what any good Christian uh, does when they're getting ready for something, you know, thinking about what a father is. So I Googled it. I Googled what makes a good father. So we've got a couple of list of attributes of fathers I want to look at. So this one comes from a website called ask.men. So it's uh, supposed to be a, a bloke's website. So these are the things that they said would make a good father. Someone who appreciates things. Someone who is open-minded. And I read that and I thought, oh, yeah, I'm not sure because, you know, there's certain values you want to install in your children. Um, and then I thought about it a bit more and thought, well, maybe you do need to be a little bit because each generation's different, but you need to understand which bits that you want to hold on and install in them, right? So maybe it's not as bad as I thought when I first read it. Um, aren't like him. That's about realizing your kids aren't like you. They are different. Spends quality time, leads by example, is supportive and loyal, uh, challenging, teaches, protects. The protects one was really interesting because this is an American website. And I was looking for the, you know, has a gun in case you need it sort of thing. But it was actually more about going out and earning the bread and, and, and keeping them fed. And the last one was loves his kids. The next list is from Psych Central. So I presume it's got a bit more uh, research behind it because it's called Psych Central. So it sounds fancy. Um, dependable, involved, compassionate. I almost crossed the next one out, but I thought it better be there. Valuing of the mother. Empathic. I wonder whether I misspelled that it's supposed to be empathetic. I don't, I'm not quite sure. Do you know what empathic means? It means? Empathic means you understand what the other person is saying before they say it, but empathetic means you have some um, sense of empathy. I, I bet you it's probably that. I have to go back and check. Verbally expressive. I don't know about you, but my dad was never that one. Uh, human, honest, playful, and industrious. All really good attributes that you can see that we should possibly think about. I mean, those are all good attributes for any parent, really. Some of those things, aren't they? Things that we should aspire to. Um, but the problem I have is that when you start to set yourself some of these lists and these things that you think you're going to be like or that you're going to do, nine out of ten times we fail. We actually can't be those things. We can't actually meet those sort of unrealistic expectations that we set ourselves particularly when you're at the start of something. So that brings us to our second interview. I want to interview, so having pulled out that newsletter, this person was probably at that particular event. So Ivan Bailey, come on up, Ivan. When I met Ivan, look at this. See the photo? Yeah, yeah, look at that. Election time six years ago. So um, I first met the Baileys when I was on the door at the golf club one day uh, for our previous service. And um, the Baileys walked in, had no idea who they were, and they kept walking in. They just kept coming. And uh, 
and it was awesome to meet them. And I feel really weird when I sit in church now, and Ivan's not on the stage, and I go up and complain to him afterwards, usually, and say, it's not church without you. So, first thing, you have had these questions. There are none about the Crusaders. Give us a little bit of information about your family, the number of kids you've got, all those. Okay. So when the conga line of Baileys walked in that first night, um, there's myself and Karen, obviously. Um, we've got five children together, and because um, we've been asked that before. Um, we've got Carissa, who's uh, coming up 15. James is just coming up to 13. Jenna's 11. Elise is coming up to 10, and Tobias is coming up to 8. I'm just taking these couple of months into account. That's, that's where they're all at. Cool. All right. Has the reality of being a father been any different from what you expected before you guys had Carissa? Um, I don't think that anything in particular has really, really surprised me because it happened so gradually, even though it appears that the children arrive very quickly. Um, it happens pretty gradually, but I think the thing that I didn't, exp- I didn't know about that does happen all the time that I like is um, how many other people come through the house. So our places um, often got extra kids staying over. I come home sometimes and I count from the car. Oh, there's, you know, there's seven, there's nine, there's 11. I don't know how many are going to be there. Um, and it's a very open kind of a house. And I think that's one of the things that I didn't know about until it happened. But it's, for us, it's something I like. What I tell myself? Um, I would go back to a couple of years before that and tell myself that I had made, that I was about to make the very best decision with chasing down the that lady out there. Well, that wasn't quite the answer. I think, uh, yeah. Pretty good. Do you want a tissue? No, no. Yeah. Oh, no, I've got more for that. Would you give it up for anything? Nope. Good, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Bailey. Uh, being a father, I mean, actually all parenting, you know, from, from what we've seen and the people you talk to is one of the hardest roles that you'll ever play in your life, no matter how important you are or how important you think you are. There was a, um, a program on TV because it's the 20th anniversary of Diana's death this week. And um, I get a little bit over it personally, but there was a really good one on the other night which talked about where the Queen was at the time and what she was doing why she wasn't in London. And um, they made the point she was in Scotland with the grandkids. She was being a grandmother. I mean, I think that sort of spoke to me heaps when I heard that, and I thought, you know, I'd never really thought about that, but they're a family. That's the kids, you know. So what do you do? You look after the kids. You are always, once a parent, you're always a parent. Right. I don't think anyone sets out to be a bad parent. I just can't fathom that's, you know, that is what they think they're going to be. But as I said, I think often we set ourselves um, expectations that are too high, that we want to be the perfect father. I mean, let's, let's be honest about how this works these days. You know, we have all sorts of different experiences with fathers, and some of us don't actually have a father. So you knew I was going to come back to telco. So... This is the one piece of telecommunication stuff today. Susie and I showed Susie this advert we're going to show in a moment on Friday, and she said to me, you really have to show that on Sunday night. So here is an advertisement that's currently playing on the TV in my industry. 
fish with no eyes. back but it's a lovely little ad it talks about you know we can't make an assumption about who's playing the fathering role in some of our kids lives these days and so when I talk about a father I want you to work that out for yourself you know what does that mean for you does it mean your father or are you playing a father's role so that's where the sensitivity comes from and I recognize that when I talk about father sometimes it's a little bit hard so we have all sorts of people that play a father figure in our lives. But what I've learned in all those years, and the reason why I talked about 1977 and about becoming a Christian in, in December of 1977 was I do actually have a perfect parent, a loving and involved father. And I know, you know it's really just to remind you today about who that is. And of course, it's the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible who is an involved God. He's not someone that stands aside and is absent. I mean, when there was a distance between Israel and the Father, or you can put yourself into that situation, when there was a distance between us and the Father, what happened? He sent his Son. Jesus came to heal that distance and show us what it means to have a perfect parent in God the Father. Jesus breaks into history, and the thing I want you to pick up this morning is that when he breaks in, he breaks in in such a way that can only be described as being, um, as expressing a shocking familiarity with God. You know, he knew who God was. He speaks about God from a position of assurance. I mean, how else can it be if 
if it isn't, if he says these words, you know, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. We hear them over and over again, but think about them in a new light. He can only say them because he actually really, really, truly believed it and knew it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him, I do know it, but I just want to make sure I get it right, shall not perish but have everlasting life. A position of assurance. Jesus speaks about God as his father more than a hundred times in John's gospel. In fact, if you go through all four gospels, it's about 179 times he talks about God as his father. In fact, he doesn't seem to be able to talk about God in any other way. If you really look at it, he prays to God, his father. He talks about his father all the way through. He just really cannot seem to get away from it. He uses the word Abba, and we've heard, you know, I'm sure some of you heard of this before, which is translated into Greek, it's pater or father. But the reason why the word is so important, and, you know, I'm reminding some of you, some of you, this is new, it's about the naturalness of the relationship. This is not a forced relationship. It's completely natural. Real closeness. Real warmth. Real belonging. And the father, in Matthew 3.17, returns the favor. He says, this is my son who I love. With him I am well pleased. For Jesus, God was the passionate, present, and embracing father who was utterly sold out for him, for Jesus. And we see this as a personal encounter in love. You know, I didn't pick the songs this morning. Well, yes, I did first one. I said, Josh, you have to play that first song, because I, that first song we sang always reminds me of Josh, and always reminds me of this church, because we've sung it over a few years. But, you know, I stood there, and I knew I was going to talk about love and father, and just the number of times that whole sense of love came out in those worship songs this morning. Now, it's probably in most of them, because it's such an important thing for us to hold on to. Now, Jesus didn't just come, though, to show us the relationship, did he? He came to bring us into it. And so in John chapter 14, verse 20, he says, On that day you will realize I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. In that language, what he's talking about is, I'm not just coming to show you what it looks like, but I'm coming to bring you into it. So you're going to be in this relationship with a loving and daring Father. Um, So we are fully in involved in his world. We are fully included in this relationship with his father. We are adopted into his family. And we're going to look at this idea of adopted father a little bit more. It's clear, and I haven't pulled out the scriptures because I could go on and on, that we are adopted. There is quite a lot in the scriptures about being adopted. I mean, it's stunning news that we have a new father, not to replace the one we had, but an adopted father. And this sets us free because we're loved and always have been. And we get sent the Holy Spirit. In Galatians, he talks about, because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into our hearts so that we start crying, Abba, Father. So that's what the Spirit does. Look, I don't know if you've read this book or seen the movie, The Shack. You know, there's all sorts of comments and queries about it, but it's a great little book when you consider, you know, what's going on? Paul Young's trying to tell a story and show pictures and pictorial and try to describe who God is. And there is this part in there, the beautiful part in there, where the key character, Mackenzie... Now, just remember who Mackenzie is. If you haven't read the book, 
He's bitter. He's angry at God because he's lost his daughter in a most horrific way. And he goes back to the shack where it all happened. And he has a vision or he has an encounter with God. And he meets the father for the first time, although he doesn't really understand it because when the door opens, the father or papa appears as a large, smiling African-American woman. And so I want to read this quote that came out of here. Just, just bear with me with the story, but this is what is written in the book. With speed that belied her size, she crossed the distance between them and engulfed him in her arms, lifting him clear off his feet and spinning him around like a little child. It's so wonderful to have you here. My, 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 how I do love you. Now, again, you know, he's just trying to describe the stories just like Jesus did in parables. He talks about, you know, Jesus in parables talks about things like the woman who loses the coin. That's telling the story about God. Um, so he uses, you know, Jesus talks about pictures. He talks about the shepherd. Jesus also uses the picture of a Jewish father. Now, none of those, including this picture, is who God is. It's an attempt for us to understand it. But seriously, folks, who doesn't want to be picked up by the creator of the universe and put in a great big bear hug and said, my, 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 how I do love you? Who doesn't want to be like that? The truth of the fact is that God is an intimate God and his love is intimate. It's one for us for all days. And in Corinthians, you know, we've just gone through 1 Corinthians and there's that famous chapter in 1 Corinthians 13. I've just picked up one small piece of it in chapter 7 and 8, which says, Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And so through adoption, we now have this Father who loves us in this way, always and forever, intimately and unequivocally. He loves us. So if you go away with nothing else this morning, go away with this idea that your Father wants to be intimate with you and to love you. We are adopted into a family, and I just want to share you with this quote that uh, was shared last week uh, by Kirk Delaney. Oh, really struggled to get that song out of my brain this week. Find myself singing it. It's not good. Um, it's time to inform our people that conversion to Christ involves both our justification and familyfication. That we gain a new father and a new set of brothers and sisters when we respond to the gospel. It's time to communicate the biblical reality that personal salvation is a community-creating event and to trust God to change our lives and the lives of our churches accordingly. So for all of us, and in particular for fathers, this should be really liberating because we don't have to live up to this list of attributes that we should be doing. Because the, who's the example? The example is God our Father. And what's the example he gives us? That love. Intimate, endearing love. I mean, Josh already talked about, you know, crying with his children, sharing with his children. I mean, that's what love is. So we have a father like that, and we can be a father like that, whoever we are, whether we're a male or not. Um, we are involved with our children. And because we can do this, because we know we've been adopted into a family. Now, I thought we'd finish today. And when I say finish, I'm not sure how long it should go for. Um, 
I promised I wouldn't embarrass Sue today, actually. Um, I thought we'd finish today from hearing Susie. So I talked to Susie um, a week or so ago and said, this is what I'm doing, this is what I'm talking about. And she said, oh, my goodness, I've been thinking about that. Um, and I said, well, I'd love you to share what your thoughts are on this particular topic. So Susie, won't you come? Um, and I'm going to hand over to you. Craig's checking the time. He's told me I've got five minutes. Oh, my gosh. Hey, um, first off, I want to give honour and thanks to this man. He's the kindest man in New Zealand, and he is a great father. Um, the second person I want to honour today is Barry Tremaine. Barry shared a couple of weeks with you, uh, a couple of weeks ago, about him being adopted. And it struck something in me, and it made me realise that there's stuff that he shared that God is still undoing and working in my life. So... Um, there's a picture that's going to come up. Have a look at this. Check this out. <laughs> See if you can spot me in that picture. Go on. Which one am I? Which one? Pink shirt? Yeah. <laughs> I so wish Sarah Lily had been here. That's me in the burgundy dungarees and the pink shirt. Sarah Lily would have thought that those dungarees were hot. They were so cool. Um, that's me and my grandparents and my mum and my dad and my three sisters and my two brothers. Um, I am adopted into this family. Two of us are adopted. The um, guy on the far left, Richard, my older brother, is adopted, and me. And there's, oh, the far, what side's that? Right, thank you. Um, there is another baby that mum and dad had who died in this process, and this is a long, long story. Like, to give me five minutes is just not going to do any justice. The story of my adoption and what has happened in my life is a big story. Um, but let me just share something with you. I am completely different from these people, as different as chalk is from cheese. Um, if you were to go out with the Nivens, you would not get a word in edgewise. They are loud. They are so, so loud. They are tall. They are physically strong. They are outrageously extroverted people, apart from me and my older brother Richard. Maybe my mum. It all comes from my dad. It's his fault. Um, I am so different from them. I am booksy. I, am qu I was quiet. I was um, always punctual, always organised, always on time. And my family are just like, Wah! they're all over the place. So I grew up feeling different, really completely different. Um, I think the scar that adoption left on me was I felt like I didn't really belong. Um, I think there's another photo of the family. If you just whip through... Uh, a couple of years ago from a wedding. Has that come up? Yeah, that's us. Okay. You can see how tall some of them are. My sisters are both six foot, and my other brother's about like six foot four, five. He's, they're tall, they're big people. Um, I think I always felt that I wasn't quite worthy of being part of this family, that I didn't really belong. And I think I always dreamed, and I had this secret place, that there was another family waiting for me that could slightly potentially be less loud and more on time and a little bit more organised. <laughs> um, still, my career goals to date have been to be a, a woman, an international woman of mystery. I've always like, vaguely liked this alter ego thing, but th that, that's another story. Throw three minutes... Okay, here's, here's, here's where we're going on this. I think adoption made me left, left me like an orphan. That the rejection and the feeling of unwantedness that sat over me at birth 
continued for quite a long time. And the stuff that God has been doing in my life to heal that has been a very long story. But when Barry spoke the other day, and then I was digging into a book as well recently, and it was an amazing book by Susie Larson called Your Powerful Prayers, I realized that my Christian journey has a little bit reflected my physical journey as an adopted child. That even though I know, I know, I know, I am in this family with God, there have been things that have sat over me um, that I have been living like an orphan rather than heir of the Father. So I've got this little picture of an orphan's table and an heir's table. Um, and, and let's just look at this physically. Orphans are people who have to beg for scraps. Um, they are alone, they are unloved, they are unwanted, and they act out of poverty. But see, when you sit at the table of the king and the almighty God, that table is so, so different. People who sit at the king's table and the children of the king, they know they're privileged. They know their status. They know they have access to everything in the kingdom. They know that they only have to say their name and who they are and doors will open to them because they are privileged at the king's table. And I wonder if an adopted person, I had been living out of the orphan's table for quite some time around my heavenly father and I had forgotten that I was actually an heir and spiritually there were things that I was doing acting like an orphan as well, begging my father for stuff perhaps approaching him that I was unworthy or unwanted, but I wasn't. See, I am adopted. I have been given a new name, and I know what being given a new name is like, but in Christ, I have been given a new name as well. I have all the legal status of a son. I am a co-heir with Jesus. I can approach the king's table um, and know that I have access to the Father. Um, I am learning that I have been set free. I am learning that I am privileged and I have authority at the king's table. Um, I know and I am learning my identity in God. I've got this list of things that sit at the Father's table. I am empowered by his love. I am clothed in righteousness. I am dearly loved. I am anointed and invited into his presence and I am welcomed into the throne room of the Father. I am an heir um, and, and as an adopted person, I so, so, so know that it takes a journey sometimes to move out of that label that we have, that we are unwanted, unloved, and we are heirs of the Father. Let me read a couple of scriptures over you. Um, and I'm going to read one out of the message, one out of the NIV. I'm not teaching you these scriptures. I want you to sit with them. And I want you to sit and let the Holy Spirit say, Speak to me, Father, through your word. Give me your word, Father, and let me wear it. So the first is from Romans 5. Um, and I'm, whenever I see the word God, I'm going to say the word Father. Okay, so I'm going to just change this a little bit. Um, by entering through faith into what the Father has always wanted to do for us. Set us right with him. Make us fit for him. We have it all together with the Father because of our Master Jesus. And that's not all. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he has already thrown his door open to us. And we find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand, out in the wide open spaces of the Father's grace and glory, 
standing tall and shouting our praise. The distance between the orphan's table and the heir's table has disappeared with Jesus. And he moves us from that place where we are unwanted to that place of this absolute rich inheritance. Thank you, Jesus. And then the next scripture I want to read over you. Holy Spirit, come breathe this into people's hearts. For those who are led by the Spirit of God um, are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought you about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. People, I want you to know, people, that's a dumb word, dear, dear, dear friends and family, dear family, come join with me at the heirs' table. Come sit with me and know your place that under grace you are completely free. And you have such privilege at the Father's table. See, the thing that I've been realizing that sitting at the Father's table changes the way that I pray, changes the way that I talk to my Father, changes the access that I have to the Father, changes everything about me. I am at the Father's table. I have the privilege. I also have the responsibility to do the Father's work. You know, I'm at his table. I'm part of his life. I'm going to do his work. I think I want to pray for you guys. And I think I just want to pray. Holy Spirit, breathe. Breathe over people and make them know they are ears. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Let's stand up and say, yep, God, we agree. Father, thank you for your great love. And thank you for wooing us and thank you for pursuing us and chasing after us while we were still orphans. And thank you for giving us a new name and a new identity and a new power and a new purpose in life. And thank you for making us your ear. And help us to see your image imprinted on our hearts. And open our eyes and remove our blindness to the wonders of your great love. And increase our capacity to see your goodness so that we can live full and free, abounding in love, full of expectant hope. And you brought us and you established us in love. Help us to walk and talk and live like it's true. And help us, Father, to trust in you that you've provided us everything we need in your Holy Spirit to do your wonders on earth and to boldly call down your kingdom and set others free from being slaves and from being orphans. Father, will you do a new thing today? Holy Spirit, will you remind us of what it means to be adopted by you? Amen. Hey guys, just stay standing. This is what I want to offer you because we are Vineyard and we love you guys. And every Sunday we want to say, Father, do a new thing in us. Um, For those of you 
that today is a hard day, um, I invite you to come up and get some prayer. That, that you know healing for the stuff that God is undoing in your heart because there is disappointment and there is hurt around your father. We'd love to pray with you. For those of you that would love to be released into being an heir and to know what it looks like to sit at the father's table and know that you have all access to the king himself and the king of glory, um, his power, his authority, his provision, his fullness, love to pray with you. Um, this is how we roll at Kingsway. We love you guys. And we, uh, Kingsway, oh, I said Kingsway, Vineyard. This is how we roll at Vineyard. Oh, sorry. sorry about that. Hey, this is how we roll. We love you guys. And we don't want to let you go if there's something that you would love to have prayed for. So in the name of Jesus, be free. In the name of Jesus, be loved. In the name of Jesus, you have a name and an identity, and it is belonging. Amen. Hey, the music's going to play. Craig and I are at the front. The team is at the front. If anybody would love prayer, come see us. If anybody would like to go home and be with their families and hug their kids, go do it. We love you guys. Amen.